As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we have a row, an out-and-out row, a stand-up fight over VAR. And what happens next? We will try our best to answer the question of how to fix it after some controversial decisions in the Premier League this weekend, including the game at Old Trafford, which saw Manchester United run out 3-1 winners over Arsenal. But what did we learn about those two sides? We'll talk about Brighton and whether they can reach Europe this season. What happens next for Brendan Rodgers at Leicester? Should Ivan Tony be called up by Gareth Southgate for the England squad? And of course, we will be remonstrating over all of those big controversial decisions in the Premier League. Join us. Let us know what you think. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Matt Dickinson, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson to look back on another eventful weekend in the Premier League. I'm going to say it every single Monday. I think it's delivering so far. Big game this weekend at Old Trafford as well. Manchester United ending Arsenal's perfect start to the season with a 3-1 win, £86 million signing. Anthony scoring on his United debut. A couple of goals for Marcus Rashford as well. Resurgent Rashford. I should call him that. Alison, you were there. You're not Avanti's biggest fan after your journey, <laughs> it, it must be said. But um, but what did you learn while you were there? Oh, yes. Actually, I had quite an eventful trip back. You'll never guess who I shared a cab with from Old Trafford to Manchester Piccadilly. That was that was the good phase of the journey. It was the cast of Ted Lasso. It was hilarious. Oh, wow. um, I can exclusively reveal they're filming the football bits of Series 3. They're not allowed to go to Anfield because Liverpool have a different deal with a different broadcaster. And um, the, the guy who plays Jamie Tart is actually quite well-spoken and <laughs> supports, supports um, AFC Wimbledon. There you go. And then I got to the train station and there's a thing called standard premium. Well, there's a misnomer. I spent the entire journey on the floor, sat on the floor. My arse is still numb, let me tell you. And if you're sat on the floor throughout a journey, you you get all the smells, your arse level. It's disgusting, (laughs) absolutely disgusting. And, of course, they don't think about... They say on the website, oh, we expect this journey to be more busy than usual. We'll do something about it. No one ever puts on extra trains or thinks about connections or thinks about, well, if you wait and wait for the next train, you're going to miss your, the London Underground will be closed. So how will you then get home? It's like treated like subhumans. It's um, revolting. But anyway, I went. And did you ask me a question about the match here? I can't remember. <laughs> well, I was just kind of asking you what you learnt on your journey. <laughs> you've, you've already, you know, revealed something about Ted Lasso. I wonder what else you learned. 
<laughs> I learned that, well, I, I was asked to write more from an Arsenal perspective because um, there were three of us representing the Times there. We can't all write about Anthony. Actually, I thought like, one thing I learned was that um, it's amazing what a goal does on your debut to change the narrative of how you might be perceived. I thought Anthony looked a vaguely ludicrous figure until he scored. I, I, he likes a little twirl, a little step over, flicking his foot in the air. Um, he's a bit of a showboater. I mean, he tackled his own player at one point. He, he looked, it, was a, it was a peculiar debut, but he finished the chance he got extremely well. I don't think it was a particularly difficult shot, but he had to open up his body. I mean, maybe a cult hero has been born. It was interesting that Eric Ten Hag said he called him the missing link. I think that's height. I think that's de designed to make the team feel that they're now a, a whole, the puzzle has been solved and they can move forward and become imperious. I very much doubt Anthony's the missing link, but um, well, time will tell. Um, and I also learned that, because I was going through, you know, this was Arsenal's first defeat of the season. Uh, you know, will they learn from it and so on? But then I listed the teams that they've beaten so far. Their top of the table status rests upon them winning uh, over Crystal Palace. Now, Crystal Palace are only a couple of points over above the drop zone for all the compliments they get. Uh, Leicester City are bottom of the table and no one's giving them any compliments. Uh, Bournemouth are shipping goals left, right and centre. Fulham are newly promoted and Aston Villa are having an identity crisis. So, I mean, it's a very false position, Arsenal being top of the league. And I think this was a wake-up call that a team that is still finding out who they are and recovering from early season debacle and humiliation they were the united were the pragmatic side and arsenal were not they our title wanted them to play the way they play and play nice expansive football quick fast football but they needed to be more pragmatic and i also compared um the two most elegant players on the pitch were erdegaard and ericsson and what the, the, the key difference was that Ericsson has, well, he's 30 years old and Odegaard's 23, but Odegaard doesn't have an aura and Ericsson does. And Ericsson's quite good at sort of get, get, lifting himself above the fray and it doesn't really matter what's going wrong. He will be very consistent and have an influence, whereas Odegaard looked increasingly perplexed by it, the fact the game was unravelling, even though they were playing quite well. I'll shut up now. Actually, I'm glad that you made that point about Anthony. I, I, I agree, I didn't... You know, you look around the, the papers this morning, and it's understandable. He's a big signing, and he, he scored in his debut. But there was a lot of kind of superfluous flicks, and and he was easily robbed on a couple of occasions. But he scored a goal, and that's it. He's made an impact. But I agree, it wasn't it wasn't a, an overwhelming debut. I think that, I think you're harsh on Arsenal, though. I mean, I think they were the better team for two thirds of the game, and I agree that that doesn't win you the game. But they were the better team. They played well for large periods. We'll come to VAR. I think they were unfortunate with the disallowed goal. They missed several chances and Manchester United were, were clinical. They were, they were, as we said last week, they were a bit like Solskjaer's Manchester United. Clinical on the break, which is not really what we came to expect, but what we, we were going to expect from, from Ten Hag. And I'm sure it's not his, his end goal, his vision for, for United, but that's what they've become in the last few weeks and it's been effective. So your third point, Eriksen was, was majestic, but I still think Odegaard was really good. I mean, he's creation, he's his little uh, assist for that wasn't an assist, but the build-up for the for the for the goal was sublime. 
And I think in the early stages, the crease crossed to the back post as well. Once when he cut, when he cuts in from the right on his left foot, some of his deliveries are brilliant. I thought he was excellent as well. So I'm not, but, I'm not saying he wasn't brilliant, Gregor. I'm just saying the key difference between him and Ericsson was that ability to ride yeah, it, through the disappointment. Yeah, and Ericsson, look, I've said over the last couple of weeks, I'm not convinced he can play in that role, and he's making me look more and more foolish, to be brutally honest, because he's he controlled the game brilliantly. And some of his passes, you know, just breaking the lines. I'm still not convinced he can do that for the whole season. There might be games where it really, it's really important who plays alongside him. And Manchester United might get run over a little bit if Fernandez isn't in the mood to hustle and harry in the way he has in the last couple of weeks. So that remains to be seen. But he was he was majestic yesterday. It's the sort of idea of Casemiro coming in and him being the sort of Modric alongside um, mm-hmm. aside him is uh, Casemiro got the legs though. Well, exactly. But I do think, I mean, for Ten Hag, it's just victory after victory, isn't it, in terms of just his, him making some key decisions and them coming off. I mean, I agree. I mean, this was, this was the, the scoreline, you could argue, flattered United a bit. But, I mean, I just think, you know, when you just, I mean, going back, when you come from Brentford and you just see that the key decisions he's making of Maguire out and suddenly, you know, they've got some credible defending going on at the moment where the signings that, you know, he's clearly driven a couple of, and I know what you're saying about Anthony, but the fact is to come turn up at Old Trafford and okay, some sort of, some you know, almost some frippery around it, but to actually have the confidence to to, you know, to step into Old Trafford and be seen to be not awed by the stage and to be trying to engage in, in that game, I think, you know, he'll take as a bonus. Rash, Rashford obviously is a central striker, scoring goals massive. So I mean I mean if you're Ten Hag, you've got about twenty seven ticks next to your name at the moment, haven't you? Which, you know, the idea of from Brentford to here is almost unthinkable, isn't it? It looks like a very much a game-to-game plan, though, from Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. And, you know, they, they went out and got what many people consider to be a very good coach. And you almost wonder whether they need a little bit more. I know they're getting the results at this point in time, but I agree with you, Gregor. You know, Arsenal were dominant for two-thirds of the game at Old Trafford. On another day, it goes differently. The other thing is, I agree with you too. When it comes to the style of football, it, you know, it looks like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United and you wonder why they would have got rid of him for a Ten Hag if they're going to play like this. Now, obviously, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be the long-term plan, but at this point in time, we, we are we really seeing a developing Manchester United, one that is going to move towards being a, a top team once again? A top team once... No, I, well, like, they might be once again, but I don't... I don't think it's imminent because their mindset was one of they accepted that Arsenal were the better team, I think, and 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 wanted to believe that they were also a little bit flaky and they preyed upon that. So they didn't have that whether we're the bigger team, we're the bigger club, we're at home, we're gonna dominate the game. They they were just incredibly pragmatic and knew that Arsenal might overstretch themselves and if they could pounce and break make the most of what possession they did have. So it, it was a reactive performance. It's, I mean, it might be there's, there's, there's a sort of parallel path going where Ten Hag is thinking about the longer term picture and what he wants, but he knows he has to get results in the short term. So he's, he's doing both at the same time. I don't know how long that will take. It, 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 by the end of the season, they might look far more imperious, but I still got the impression I was watching an underdog team just being more streetwise than uh, a rather naive top of the table team. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're talking about development and a top team, yeah, we're some 
we're some way away from that, but as Matt referenced, it's a development from what looked like a completely broken team in the space of a few weeks. And it's now a team that are working hard for each other and doing all those basic things that we referenced that they had to start with, and they're doing them with energy. Uh, so that's that's the basis from which they can build now. And that they're looking quite clinical in front of goal too. So, And as Matt said, they're looking, you know, reasonable at the back, although Martinez still looks like a little, he can be a little bit rash on occasion and he loves a scrap, which I actually quite like to see. Uh, Malassia looks a little bit naive at times, but look, there's it's a huge improvement. And I think as we see, I think over the season, we'll see it more in, in fact against slightly lesser teams as well. I think Manchester United will have to be the team that, that dominate a little bit more on the ball. Um, but in the meantime, when they're playing against a team in Arsenal who arrives in Arsenal's form, who can dominate the way Arsenal do, then there's nothing wrong with being pragmatic and hitting them on the break. Matt, I, I, I am, again, third time, agree with Gregor um, about the control that Arsenal had over the game. Um, I think they can take a lot of positives out of their performance. Any concerns over the fact that they didn't win or didn't even get a draw, given how well they played at times. And there is some criticism as well for Mikel Arteta around his triple substitution on the 73rd, 74th minute in Ketia, Vieira and Smith-Rowe coming on and how that, that may have changed the balance of power as well. I don't know. I think Arsenal could have, you know, it's one of those. It's a positive defeat. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think that... But, uh, Fair play to Arteta in the sense of it. Well, as he said it, he told his players at halftime, "Look, you know this. This is there for the taking." And they, you know, there was a conviction about them that they can, should dominate, dominate the game. So I think if you're looking at the sort of mindset of the players and the ambition of the players, then I think Arteta is really, you know, he is continued continually raising that a notch. Um, I think Alison used the word naive. There was a sort of bit of naivety about the way that they were caught, but I do think. You know, again, you know, in terms of trajectory, I don't think if you're an Arsenal fan, you're coming out of yesterday thinking, you know, ah, obviously the top of the league, 100% record was was flattering for the reasons Alison said. They played some soft sides, but I don't think that the, the suddenly that there is this sort of, this is a crushing sort of, oh my God, it was, you know, how wrong that was. I think it's just a, a reality check that they're, potentially the sort of fourth-ish best team in the country, certainly not the you know the first, second or third. There was, for the first time on this podcast today, but not for the last time, a controversial VAR decision for us to discuss. Uh, Martin Erdegaard, did he foul Christian Eriksen and chalk off a would-be goal for Gabriel Martinelli? Gregor? Look, I, I, just, hate, I just hate that this is a foul. I hate it. I was feeling my blood boiling actually watching watching this and watching some of the decisions over the weekend. I think Peter Walton's column today, there's, there are things things in it that you disagree with and things that you agree with, which kind of sums up the truth that VAR will never be able to solve all the all the woes or the make things black and white. But there's one line that, that, that hit on the, the fundamental truth. And he said, the video assistant, re- video assistant analyzes decisions from a sanitized view with no context or understanding of how the individual game is being refereed. And you could say exactly the same about the way the game's being the way the game is played. Because I think everyone would would agree that Ericsson made an error there. He didn't know that Odegaard was on his side. And it was a nothing coming together. And it's also the the, the most important thing is it's not a foul if there's not a goal at the end of it. Nine times out of ten referees don't give a foul for that. But because there's a goal, we've created a new genre of foul. 
a fake foul, an artificial foul. Like you have to going back just to to check if there was anything wrong in the build up to a goal when you would norm, you would never go back if if it wasn't for the existence of VAR. So that's my problem. It's we've created a new genre of fouls. It's like the weakest piss foul. <laughs> the foul that is just fake that a cheats can nab sometimes. We could say the same about the one that, that happened at Chelsea West Ham too. It's not a foul if VAR doesn't exist. So therefore it's not a foul. I don't like the fact that the uh, the new genre is a bit like at a wedding when the priest says, does anyone know of any reason why these two people may not be joined in, <laughs> in holy matrimony? And everyone looks yeah, no, around no, no. and it's like... I, yeah, but I've always been desperate for someone to shout, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's sleeping with the bridesmaid. Or, <laughs> he's lead, yeah, I, I, don't you always want, yeah, want that sort of brief pause to be filled with some sort of uh, Jeremy Kyle-style moment of... Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, but yeah, interesting, interesting analogy. No, I think I mean it's it's definitely Gregor's right. Is tipped into. There's been two. There's been sort of. There's been nitpicking basically, and that's that is not what this system is about. And that's it's you know ultimately as you say, you watch that back, and it is a foul. Um, so there is a sort of technical correctness about it, but it was not with the spirit of VAR's um, invention, basically. Or, or um, football as it is played. Yeah. It's yeah. not in the spirit of the way that you play football. That you know, I hate I hate that I'm gonna say this, but like this is the first time in in my life that I've found myself feeling some sympathy for all the ex pros who say you need to get ex pros in the in the VAR room. <laughs> like I, I wrote a column actually railing against that whole view last year. I don't believe that you should shoehorn footballers into positions because simply because they play the game. But just seeing people do you think that this is, should be a foul, I I I can't I can't get my, I, it really 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 riles me. I think the surprise the surprise because if you've been in that situation, you think no, this is Ericsson, That's Ericsson's fault. He he made a mistake there. There was a coming together. He would know. He think, God, I got away with one there. I got away with one there. If it, if it's not get, you know, if it's not the foul's not given, someone digs Ericsson out there. They don't say that's a foul ref. They dig Ericsson out, and it. But don't don't we see don't we see fouls like that given all the time, Gregor? We should like, really we shouldn't, weak, that, we really know. weak dives. We like, every time a fullback is by the byline or on the touchline, you know they put their body between themselves and the ball. Luke Ayling, a specialist. Little touch on the back, you know, gets a hand on the small of his back, throws himself to the ground. I'm not even digging out Luke Aylin. So many fullbacks do it. And the ref gives a free kick. It's just commonplace now. But that's about, that's that again, actually, is about the context of the game. You're saying he's on the byline. Someone comes together and Luke Aylin falls over and he's basically lying on the ball. What, what actually else can the referee do? He can't give a throw-in. He can't just stop the play. He's got to give the foul. This was, the ball, the play was still rolling. It, 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 you know, there was no. It's all about the context of the game. I actually thought about another incident at the end. If you remember, Harry Maguire came on and just looked like hell bent on you know like stomping all over people and stuff. And then there was one where a cross came in and Enketia chested it. He came in, he put his arms around them in the box. It's a foul, but it's, it shouldn't be a penalty. That's the truth. There's no black and white in football. It's like that's a foul, but it should never be a penalty. And it's the same thing that you. There's no, there's, we've completely lost any semblance of light touch, human touch, or nuance because of VAR. 
You're forgetting, Gregor, that there's a new law in the game, which is that you can't tackle a player who is technically dead for five minutes at the European Championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I, listen, the one thing that I would say on that is, does Martin Erdegaard win the ball? You know, he might not interfere enough with Christian Eriksen to put him on the ground or for it to be a real foul. We're going to come to, I think, some other controversial decisions a little bit later on that, for me, fall into that category. Very, very weak decisions, soft decisions, but you can see why. You can see why the referee may have thought it was a foul because Erdegaard didn't win the ball clearly. I mean, that's all you can well, say. That's, that's just what gonna... I said. It was, it was a fact. You know, you, want, you watch it, you know, the first couple of viewings, you say, yeah, that's, 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 that's a foul. You know, it's um, and so therefore, you know, but I, but then I, you know, I find myself still even acknowledging that, saying I'm right with Greg. The referee sees it in real time. He sees Ericsson dawdle. He sees, as you say, Odegaard make that challenge, and he thinks, you know what, that is just that's where a player's sort of dawdled, and another player has sort of caught a bit of leg. But actually, that was a bit of a sort of, you know, six six or one half a dozen the other sort of coming together, play on, and I think his initial hunch in the spirit of which VAR was intended, clear, you know, totally clear and obvious, was, was I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have overruled that. That's a whole other new argue, another argument too, like we can go down the whole same wormhole about the clear and obvious, the technicalities of VAR, but the most important thing is the spirit of the game, to be honest now, and it's, it's, it's certainly been eroded. Well, but then equally, you know, I think most everyone is sort of saying that there has been a sort of lighter touch of referees that generally this season there's been a more, you know, a, a robustness has been, a lot, you know, there, there seems to have been, and I think that's been welcome. So, I, I mean, that's why the, I guess there's the, a disappointment the, the about this The only thing I'd say about that though, Matt, the only thing I'd say about that is they've told the referees there's a higher bar when you're refereeing in real time. Don't give a decision for everything. Don't stop the game for everything. Let it flow a little bit more. But when it gets thrown to VAR, that bar seems to drop massively and we see, you know, really soft fouls being given and, and more importantly, disallowing goals for them. And that seems to be a massive disconnect, you know, between how the officiating happens basically in real time versus on video, if you like. Yeah, well, exactly, which is why, you know, ultimately referees, you'd hope some of them are going to have to sort of almost push back and say, well, actually, I'm, you know, be stronger to stick with their original decisions. We've seen that in one occasion this weekend but yeah that's where it's not easy for referees but they're going to have to be I mean we all know you know the Howard Webb coming in there needs to be continually more empowerment of referees to sort of I think referee to referee as human beings not as people crap themselves that they're going to get shouted at for for any little error Matt but Matt you you Matt you wanted VAR and I'm, I am so I tempted. Yeah. I am so tempted to say I told you so because I did say you can't replicate what it feels like to be. McGregor references what it feels like to be on the pitch. And I was explaining to Jamie Tad yesterday because he was asking <laughs> me about about VAR, and I was saying the referee he smells the game, he feels the game, he knows the, what sort of game it is, how how it is being played, and that allows this latest directive. Which is the referees, referees want it. They want it to be well. more. They want it to be more physical. Referees you know, want referee VAR. So. No, the referees yeah, but, didn't want VAR. They didn't want uh, VAR. The, the, the people who well, pushed for VAR were the Premier League. The Premier League pushed for it, and the referees said, "Okay, we'll do our best and try." Well, I think there's, there's plenty of referees on the record saying they did, and plenty of others. Plenty have said, "Oh, it's quite nice walking away without the weight of responsibility." On the phone-ins that the phone-ins talk about well, VAR and not and not Paul Tierney or whoever. 
Well, have you spent, I mean, well, referees, FIFA level and below, I've spoken to said that they were behind it. But I think the, you know, it's the, there, is not, there are not, I mean, every country's had its glitches, but I, we do seem to be making a particular, um, getting our knickers in a twist in a bigger way here about it, whether that's because, I don't know, there's a greater culture of just sort of screaming, the game's ruined, we're killing the game, It'll, you know, um, uh, we're destroying football um, here, or whether it's just a bigger culture of just generally screaming and shouting about decisions on a on a Monday morning I, I I don't know there's a whole different podcast about that I think this weekend was a crap weekend for it but I don't suddenly think that that means either the game is going to die um, next week or that it's a bad um, it's an unworkable system um, I think we should keep trying and keep trying to make it better but we could just be yeah, we could equally, as we know, be on this podcast this morning screaming about obvious fouls that were missed once we're stuck, you know, because we've stuck VAR in the bin and decided to leave it to humans. That's, you know, let's just be VAR honest. VAR is humans. VAR is no, humans. No, 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 no. Let's, let's be honest enough to say we'd all be having a debate about refereeing decisions on this podcast, whether there's VAR or not. Yes, I think we would, yeah. to be perfectly honest. I think but we would. And we will amplified. do. Sorry, it's just, but, but the thing that we're realising is VAR just amplifies it. It kind of makes the streaks even louder. And there's even more to pour over. So uh, for me, that look, we'll discuss it later. I think, but there's only there's only out. more to there's only more to pour over if the VAR official either compounds or creates more bad decisions. Actually, I think Which if the VAR and we'll talk about more VAR decisions a little bit later on, but it was meant to be a second layer of checks that was meant to almost make sure you came to the right decision. I think it's sort of as a fail safe, it's failing. Anyway, more VAR chat a little bit later on for those of you that love that more than football. Uh, that will come towards the end of the podcast. But up next, we will be talking about Brighton and Brentford, who seem to go together at all times uh, when you're talking about football. And then we'll get to some of those bigger decisions and what happens next for the PGMOL. Don't go anywhere. Brighton are now up to fourth in the Premier League after a 5-2 win over Leicester. And look, we just want to sort of, as you as you almost need to do about Brighton on a regular basis, we're just going to praise Graham Potter and this side. I'm not going to talk about the potential New England manager or any of that stuff, but they are up to fourth, as I mentioned. And that means maybe we can talk about them being a potential European side this year. Last season, finishing ninth, Brighton's highest ever finish in the top flight, historical for them. Can they go better this time around? Very impressive 5-2 win over Leicester this weekend. Alison, what do you think? Well, I've seen Brighton twice in successive seasons when, if they'd won, they would have gone top of the league. Last season, they played quite poorly and against Crystal Palace, couldn't go top of the league. This year, it was um, at Craven Cottage. If they won, they'd go top of the league. Now, yes, I accept it's early days and... It's no biggie, really, if you're talking to me. But it was almost as if that fact completely paralysed them. I was there at Graham Cottage and they did not play well at all. And Graham Potter, give him his due, afterwards he said, just couldn't, just didn't turn up, just, just couldn't really get going. We didn't have it. But it did make me think, when the eyes of the world are looking at them and there's a, there's a, you know, for the first time ever, they could be top of the Premier League, they haven't quite got that sense of, yeah, why not about them? It's, it's almost as if they play beautiful football, but under the radar. As soon as they're the team you might want to be wary of or really scared of or fearful of, 
they can't quite put it together. There's a huge gulf between being that unheralded team that is coached extremely well and everything fits together beautifully and they play relaxed football because the pressure's off and then being the team that's the team to beat or the team everyone's crazy about. So I don't, I don't, I don't think they do have the psychology to become a top four team for that reason. And I, but I want to be wrong because the way they've absorbed uh, big names leaving, new names coming in and the, the freedom with which they play and I think a very good contrast with what happened to Arsenal at Old Trafford was things things went against Arsenal and they couldn't quite cope. They let it get to them, I think. Whereas there were there were issues in this game that many teams would have got, got, become angry or started being petulant or lost their shape or direction. They just kept playing the same expansive direct football. So um, on the one hand, yes, I'm a big fan. On the other hand, I don't think they've got the psyche to do it. That's top four, though. What about top seven, Gregor? Could they do that and maybe be in the Europa League? Yeah, I think that is, although you'll never hear Potter saying it, I think that is a, a viable aim. Definitely a goal that they should be should be aspiring to. The, the, one, the one question about Brighton has always been, whether, well, along, you know, Ali's right there about whether they can kind of, I don't know, step up when they really need to and whether, whether they can, also whether they can score enough goals. It's always been an issue, you know, finishing. I think they scored 42 goals last last season, which was uh, 10 behind Leicester in eighth. Sorry, 20 behind Leicester in eighth. So it's quite a big big leap to make that jump in. And this season, it looks different. Something looks different. You, the thing that struck me as well, seeing some of this game, was that, remember Johnny, when we were speaking about his Potter interview last uh, a few weeks back, saying that Potter was like a post-formations coach. And that kind of sounded, I remember thinking, that sounds a little bit pretentious, <laughs> but you watch them and you think, they kind of are. They're, they're like a shape-shifting team. They, wherever the space is, that's where they've, their players go and their, their, their shape changes. They always, you know, Welbeck stretches the game. There's three, three at the back, but they can, both, both left and right can very much advance to support the play. They can play like a box midfield. They can play three in midfield. The wing backs can play like wingers. They can play like full backs. They really, and they can go direct. You know, we saw them go direct against Manchester United. We've seen them go direct. I think they went direct a lot of the time against West Ham as well. They really are a, a very, very, very well coached team with players capable and coachable enough to play in that way, which makes up makes for a really well balanced team. So it is pretty remarkable. What you know, reading James Gearbrandt's report this morning, and he he said that Potter's arguably one of the best coaches in the world now, which can you go, hang on a minute, that sounds a bit much, but he's certainly done a remarkable job in that time from what Brighton were. You know, James highlighted, I think they had 41% possession under Houghton on average. And immediately the next year, they were a different team after like one preseason. And then the gradual sort of progression, you see players improving, you see the bit, you know, the bigger picture about Brighton as a club and their smart recruitment obviously aids them but they just look like a team where all the players are really well kind of technically capable but also able to play in the way that he wants them to play and absolutely they should be aiming higher than than they finished last season. Watch this game this weekend with really one thought in my mind there's absolutely no way Brighton are going to make it to the end of the season with Graham Potter as manager that that was just my immediate thought someone 
is going to offer this guy a job, a big job, a bigger job with all due respect very soon. That will be maybe too tempting for him to turn down. You just get that feeling. It would be amazing if he stayed there. It would be amazing thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought about England and then I thought, would he take that job? Well, because he seems to be a meticulous, a meticulous coach likes to do daily work, don't they? Absolutely. I think that would be his biggest reservation about it. There's, you know, that is, that seems to, you know, that's his passion. That's what he, he loves to wake up every day for and the idea of going three or four months, you know, without seeing players. Um, Yeah. And at this stage of his career, I mean, it would be, and I, I think he's sort of unconventional enough that he, he might even say that, you know, people have this idea that it's the job you can't turn down. I could imagine Potter being sort of singular enough to say at this stage, certainly in mid-season, he he would. So, yes, but that's, you know, you certainly couldn't rule out that he'd be, um, you know, if the job becomes available by Christmas. I think that the shortlist would have him either top or pretty close to it. Do you think, though, that, that Brighton Mac could go into the top seven this year the way that they're playing? Do you see any reason why they couldn't? No, I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be, well, with the World Cup itself, it's going to be an unpredictable seat. You know, there's going to be also, I think that that's going to add a sort of an element of of unknown about this season. But no, I mean, on for for, for all the reasons we've just said, they're, they're more than capable of it. I think there's actually a sort of, you know, we all know about the sort of top tier of teams, but I think there's a, when you're looking at the sort of best of the rest, then Brighton certainly absolutely look it. Um, and yeah, I would have thought, the idea of Brighton finishing seventh doesn't seem remotely sort of controversial opinion. And, and as I was watching the game and thinking about um, Potter maybe not being the Brighton manager for much longer for, for the positives, you're sitting, you're watching Brendan Rodgers and you're wondering whether he will survive the turmoil at Leicester City at the moment, In including now, aside from the poor results, reports this week that Leicester City's financial woes uh, will come out when they reveal an estimated annual loss of just under £120 million. Um, speaking of the game itself, Rogers says results at the moment are down to him right down there at the moment as well. Um, do you think he'll survive, Alison? No, they've gone, haven't they? It's gone. It's over. They're not Leicester anymore. Do you remember, do you remember Leicester? Leicester used to be, uh, you know, really scary counter-attack, loads of pace, loads of unfettered freedom. Woohoo, see you later, skippy, skippy, Jamie Vardy, irrepressible. And now they look stodgy and indifferent and they fight amongst themselves and you watch their body language and there's no running, there's no, there's no belief that they can inflict a defeat. Um, they don't. They don't look united. Uh, they're not playing for their manager. That is absolutely uh, obvious to me. And in lockdown, you could hear everything that happened uh, on the pitch and who were the vocal people in the team. And Kasper Schmeichel ran the team. He would be shouting not only to his defence, not only to his midfield, but he shouted the bloom and attack what to do. And Brenda Rogers never said a word. And that presence has gone now. And still, Brendan Rogers doesn't say a word. There's no sense of him trying to direct lift spirits he's just sat there stood there with his notebook and it's it's not a good look i just don't feel they're playing for him that you know he got the fa cup he should have probably left then because that's that i mean he's not taking them they're going downhill now so no he's not going to survive much longer it does look a bit kind of hard to come back from though just the way that players were pointing fingers and looking after themselves rather than sort of looking after each other in that game. Um, 
you know, players would they wouldn't bother even even wouldn't even bother closing down in the second half because they know there was no one else backing up behind them. You're just wasting your energy, and that's a really that's a really bad sign actually. And then you you know we're talking about Schmeichel's loss, but then the guy who's come in to fill fill his shoes, Danny Ward, has had a had an awful time. You know, if 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 he's been asked to play play. We've spoken about this before. Goalkeepers have been asked to play it from the back, with, you know, with their feet, and he's not been up to it. And he he just looks like another example of that. And as I said last week, they're just woeful in central defence. You, you can't you can't have indeed de- indeed he's a destroyer in midfield. Brilliant, he's brilliant at it, and he's been played out of position in, at the back, and he doesn't look comfortable there. Um, Amarty shouldn't be anywhere near a Premier League centre, central defence, and Johnny Evans is isn't always fit. So. It's a massive hole in their team, and I know they've signed signed someone on towards the end of the the deadline. So he's going to have to he's going to have to be pretty good because they've conceded sixteen goals, and they just that's the that's their biggest issue. I think Leicester will still score goals. You know, Tielemans has not been anything like he has. We know he can pl- he can play, but he's still his ball over the top for for uh, for Daka was sublime. He's he's got that. You know, he just getting the ball in the half turn and springing someone. It's usually Vardy, but it, it, it could be it could be Daka, and that was a that was a lovely goal. So I still think Leicester have got it in them to score goals. I just don't think at the moment they can keep enough out. It just seems like cultural, the cultural issue. And there's there's basically too many big players spending the summer wondering who was going to be the yeah. one to be able to get to get out for the big fee, wasn't it? Tielemans interest in him, um, Madison the same. You know, obviously losing for yeah. They knew that the club was going to sell to make money, and um, it was almost like right, this is my chance to uh, to jump ship. And it's almost like they you know a few got out, and then those that are left, they're sort of sitting there bit bitter and twisted that um, they got left behind. So that's a, that's when you've got a culture like that sets in. That is a massive massive challenge for a manager, and a, yeah, one that he's obviously um, drowning in at the moment. There's you you could just see that all over the pitch. That's also the value of having the guys like Schmeichel. And Wes Morgan, and Vardy, and you know the p- people who've been there for a long time who really want to be at Leicester, and they kind of, when new people come in, they set the standards, and now they've all gone. That kind of spirit that also, which was a huge part of Leicester's journey, is is gone. So, what's left? You don't you don't know who the characters are any, anymore. Well, it's five straight defeats for Leicester City. Uh, they've got Villa, Forest, and Bournemouth. Three of their next four games. The other game away at Spurs and, and you think they'd have to take minimum seven out of those 12 for, for Brendan Rodgers not to have huge, huge pressure on his role and that's if he's in charge for those four matches. Let's move to Brentford next. Uh, another game that finished 5-2. Brentford, the winners, are beating Leeds um, and they were inspired by their talisman once again, Ivan Tony. Uh, fantastic hat-trick from him. He's now the third highest scorer, third highest English scorer um, in the big five European leagues since Brentford were promoted. And of course, everyone asking, with the World Cup on the horizon, is it time Tony was called up for England? What do you think, Matt? I'm sure he's being looked at. I, I think the idea of who's going to back up Kane is, you know, there are, you know, Callum, it was Callum Wilson being thrown out a couple of weeks ago. You know, you've got Tammy Abraham, um, obviously over in Italy, and it's easy to sort of forget when players are, are sort of not under our, our nose and the uh, all-consuming Premier League. Um, so, I mean, obviously Calvert-Lewin um, was that sort of man, but has been injured. So I think you know, there is a place. There is a place to be Harry Kane's understudy. And, um, yeah, I, I still think it's, you know, it's... Um, 
a big jump, but I know there are plenty of people who looked at Tony and regretful. I remember speaking to David Moyes about him when he was at uh, saying that they checked him out. And um, I know there's a sort of degree of kicking themselves that um, didn't didn't take that punt when he stepped up. He's one of those players who just every time you think, OK, you know, can he keep going? He does. Gregor, what do you think? Tony? I mean, the thing, the, the, the question for me on Tony is not just necessarily who backs up Kane as the second choice, but with the possibility of bringing 26 players to the World Cup, it's almost like you, you, you have to take an extra striker, you know, just in case you get an injury crisis in that department and your first two go down. Tony is number three. Would that work for you? Yeah, look, he, he deserves the chance, I think, to to be looked at and to just to have an opportunity to to make his mark. I, I interviewed Tony in... I was looking back at it this week because I was at this game and, and I wrote about this in the paper today and I interviewed him in November 2020 and he, that was only a, so that was only a few months after he'd stepped up from League One Peterborough United to, to Brentford in the Championship and he said then, I want to play for England. I want to play in the Champions League. I want to win the league title. And like, you know, a lot of time when you hear someone who's never actually started a Premier League game he never. He played a couple of substitute appearances for Newcastle, and it didn't work out that move. It, it sounds a bit performative, even arrogant, um, but he he meant it. He absolutely meant it, and I, I have some kind of knowledge of that too. And that I, I played with him when he made his breakthrough at Northampton Town when he was eighteen, and he thought he should be playing in the team. Then we were in the, we were in a League Two relegation battle, and he was convinced he should be playing. Like he was not daunted in the slightest, and when he finally got a start, the second last game from the season, he scored a hat trick, and then he scored in the last game of the season, and which was a, a decider to keep us in the football league. So it, he's completely undaunted by anything really, and he's got he's full of self belief. And there's a there's he's been an interesting journey. You know, I don't think he was that professional when he was at Newcastle. He's admitted that he had a half a dozen loans. He was never had a home. Then he had a, he had a, a son. Ivan Junior, and um, that changed his. That just changed him, I think. And he just thought, look, at his family said to him as well, "You can do more than this," and and he knew he could. And so now he's just dedicates himself to the game. And if you look at him, his his all round game is just different as well to, to to what England have on offer. He's he's such a physical presence. You know, we spoke about Martinez having a real tough time against them, and. Like I said at the time, that's probably his, his biggest challenge of the season in terms of a physical challenge. And no one won more ju- uh, aerial duels than, than Tony last season, apart from Chris Wood and James, Tart- James Tarkowski, both of both of whom played for Burn- for Burnley. Uh, Wood for the first half of the season. And, and you know, they play very direct. So um, he's he's such a presence like that. He's great at using his body, backing into people. Um and he's good with his feet, and he can hold, he can link up play. He can he's he's got a bit of everything, I think. So, and but the main thing, the main thing is his belief. He, he'll not be, he can, he'll believe that he can go in there and and make an impact. And I think he deserves a chance to do so. You also pointed out in your match report, Gregor, that um, Thomas Frank said, you know, if England are going to go to a game where it's about penalties, you want Ivan Tony on the pitch. His penalties are a thing of beauty. Absolutely, 18, 18 out of eighteen for Brentford. And I looked at he's only missed one in his career out of 25. And his new kind of technique happened just after he moved to Brentford, which is this two-step, really slow amble looking at the goalkeeper. You know, he's not the only player to do that. 
it's what what do you call it the goalkeeper ind independent method or something there's uh, um you know the, goal the goalkeeper dependent and the goalkeeper independent sorry it's the goalkeeper dependent so he he waits to see he stares at the goalkeeper and waits to see which way he's going to go and if he doesn't move he just bangs in and he's got such power as well from a standstill and his free kick was actually very much the same technique he had one more step three steps but it was still an inside a really a very much an inside of the foot strike great power and accuracy in the top corner and that's his first goal for, that was his first goal from outside the box for for uh, for Brentford which is remarkable the goal that completed his hat trick wasn't oh. that the highlight of the weekend i mean such composure yeah. and the dash of arrogance absolutely yeah. stunning so you'd have him in alison oh well yeah, i mean i'm i'm very happy to go with who's in form go for it i mean it's a weird time of year the world cup and at the moment, he's on a trajectory, isn't he? It'll come at exactly the right time for him. Go for it. I would just love there to be much more freedom of thought with picking the England team. You know, oh, he's playing well, let's have him, rather than it being the tired old, you know, Harry Maguire again. Why? Well, no one's playing well in central defence. That's probably why. But um, <laughs> listen, <laughs> we can talk about well, the England squad. And I'm sure we'll come to it. Go on, Matt. No, what I was going to say, I think we were going to get on to when we sort of, you know, um, uh, left field choices, which uh, you yeah. said the defence is, I mean, it, it seems like the least left field name I could come up for a left field choice. But I mean, at what point is Eric Dyer going to get back in? I mean, it's if we're, we're looking around at central defence and thinking, you know, who, who is going to play there? I, I think there's every chance, given England's wobbles, that he could go back to a back three, um, of which, you know, Okay, you could have Carl Walker, John Stones, but I think Eric Dyer as the central role has been one of you know Conte's knows how to drill a defence. Uh, that's for sure. He's got Dyer working in that central capacity. I was just checking; he hasn't played since November, for England since November 2020. So I mean, it might be the least sexy left field choice ever devised. But um, <laughs> um, given that he's basically been yeah exiled for a couple of years. Um, I certainly think the case is almost getting sort of almost odd if it's if it's ignored any longer. I think I think Lewis Dunk could be thrown in there too because that is England's weak spot really, and he's playing very consistently in a really smart team. Um, he's been called up before, but you know that is a that is a problem area, and I think you're not well stocked there. So it would be bizarre if he's not looked at uh, certainly as someone who could potentially go. Do you have a wild card, Alison? Oh God! Um, well, I'd be, I'd be really happy with Tony. I think, I think as a utility player, I'd go with Ollie Watkins, mainly based on what the people who manage him do. They have such faith in him. So, Villa are in a crisis, but and they don't know what to do with their attacking formation. But you know, you drop Ollie Watkins at your peril because he does so much else other than try and get you a goal. He's notoriously hardworking and unselfish and I think he'd be a great great player in the squad yeah I'd maybe go and I don't know if he's had a great season so far but last season in particular I would have said Jacob Ramsey at, at Villa um, just because of that midfield energy almost in the mould of a Conor Gallagher who hasn't started the season as well but uh, look you're splitting hairs there because we've got a lot of good players in central midfield but I do think just a little bit of a midfield spark it, again, in that extra three players that you bring with you might be quite quite good 
for England to have in their reserves. Um, we're going to continue our conversation, including one big VAR decision in this game involving Brentford and Leeds next on the game podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying, just hit subscribe. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, we've had our rant already about VAR as a whole, I think, but we sh- it's, it's worth saying that the referee's body, the PGMOL, um, many saying effectively accepting that controversial VAR decisions made at Chelsea and Newcastle this weekend were wrong. They say they will fully cooperate with a Premier League review of the incidents. For me, that's not necessarily an admission of guilt, but we'll see how that, that review goes. Um, let's talk about the decisions. Um, Jared Bowen, a foul on Edouard Mendy given in a build-up to what would be a very late equaliser for West Ham against Chelsea. Uh, Joe Willock for Newcastle, a foul on the, the Crystal Palace goalkeeper, Vicente Guaita, looked like he got a push from Tyrant Mitchell. That was in Newcastle's draw with Palace, of course. And the game that we were just discussing, Leeds United, they could have... Uh, really should have had a penalty. Uh, Aaron Hickey potentially fouling Crescencio Somerville. Jesse Marsh not happy. He was given a, a red card in the game as well, which has led to this review. Um, and we'll, we'll come to the review, I guess, as a separate question. Let's talk about the incidents themselves. Did Jared Bowen foul Edward Mendy? Let's start there. That was the big one this weekend. You had people calling it a disgrace. Was it that bad, Matt? Uh, well, I was going to say before we, uh, well, you know, we, we, we are inevitably in the next 10 minutes going to give refs a hard time. But let's just start here with the goalie himself who, you know, does the classic. I've been, you know, scarf a lot. I mean, we, if we talk about casting blame around, then, you know, do we blame referees for being tricked by uh, a rolling around, you know, malingerer? Or do we say, hang on a minute, you know, get a pair of balls to, to, to Edouard Mendy, basically? <laughs> Because part of the you game. know, part of the game. Well, it's, yeah, but, yeah, part is part of the game, and then it's part of the game for referees to cock it up. Um, you know, you can't. Yeah, it was. You know, let, 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 yeah, let's 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 just attribute blame where it should start, which is undoubtedly with pretending that you've been, you know, um, scarred for life, basically. So no, I thought it was 
soft as I won't use the word, and um, the goal should have stood. And yeah, men, you know, if you could talk about retro, sort of doing all this stuff retrospectively, then yeah, you wonder what we should be doing to to Mendy as well out of this. I'm almost speechless on this one because because the referee didn't see anything wrong. The on-field referee didn't see anything wrong. He, if he made a mistake, the on-field referee, it was that he didn't book Mendy for simulation because it was a ridiculous attempt to get the goal chalked off. If you're, it's like taking a microscope to something. Like walking into a really super clean kitchen and you're really pleased that you've cleaned your kitchen, but someone walks in with a big magnifying glass and goes over to your marble worktop and says, I can see a speck of dust if I look really carefully, and it ruins your day. It's not, it's not, that's not what, what we're supposed to be examining. It's it's missing those clear and obvious terrible mistakes so that people don't go home thinking, Oh, you know, I can't believe that just wasn't seen. It was, you know. 50,000 people saw it, but the referee was looking somewhere else. This is looking really hard for a reason to disallow a goal. If I touch if I touch you, are you going to sue me for assault? No. But if you really push at it and push at it, push at yes, it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, you might end up believing you had, I might end up, I had hurt you, Hugh, even though it was just, <laughs> you know, brush, brush of elbow on arm or something. It's just, it's slightly pathetic that if you, and it's it's all about that being stuck with a monitor and you've got a job to do. And you, if you look and look, you will see something. And that's not what it is there for, to look and look and find a little reason to rule out a goal. A- absolutely astonishing decision, possibly the most comical of VAR so far. And there have been many. I agree. That's an absolute joke. It was just the idea of a foul, of that being a foul on Mendy doesn't even register in your thought process when you watch the incident happening in real time. I know that in itself is not a reason for it not to be a foul, but it's still the truth. It's like you watch the game and he's, and then there's a goal and then something is brought to your attention that is so minuscule. And even if you're looking at it on you know slowed down TV angles, can look like okay, maybe he's, he could have done more to jump over him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's not hurt. It didn't affect the the play afterwards. And I agree with Matt. I think Mendy, Mendy, Mendy was pretty embarrassing, really. But, look, this is one that, you know, you saw David Moyes kind of, like, really fuming, really, really fuming afterwards. And this is this is it. You just think, I, I, you don't know how it is possible for a to be to be sent for the referee to be sent to the monitor, and b for the when the referee is sent to the monitor, to actually believe that that is enough to to rule out a goal. You don't know how it's possible for them to compute that in their minds. And I know there's so much pressure on them, and we discussed this all before. Even when you do see it slowed down, it still should nowhere near be enough to cancel it. Guys, I hate to break your hearts. If we're going to be apportioning blame here. You know, you've got to spread it evenly. And I'm sorry to say it, but Jared Bowen has to accept some blame in this because there is no reason for him to make contact with Edward Mendy. He leaves his left leg in for the challenge for the ball. He doesn't get there. He doesn't touch the ball and he touches the goalkeeper. Now, he barely touches the goalkeeper. It is a very soft decision. It is a lot like the one that we saw at Manchester United. But I don't fall into the category of it being a disgrace because a lot like the one at Man United, 
you, we can all at least see why they would have thought it was a foul because there is a player who touches an opposition player, challenges for the ball, doesn't make it to the ball, clearly touches the goalkeeper. Obviously, he rolls around as if, you know, it's a World War II epic movie and it's the final scene or whatnot and he's the baddie. I don't know what happened there, but you can understand why it was, you know, it was soft. We all agree that. But you can understand why. I don't know why Jared Bowen, who manages to leap the goalkeeper with his right leg, keeps his left leg in. He should have just jumped over him. It would have been too all. It was a silly decision, and it was a decision. People can say, oh, he flew in, and it was, you know. Yeah, he it's flew in. It's a second decision, though. Yeah, you could have been thinking ball. that he did, he's trailing he did, leg, he, he's trailing leg, he went in, the ball. Gregor, he split thinking, second. He won a penalty. Who knows? Yeah. There's lots of things but, going through your mind at that moment. But this is, this is, the point, but this is the point that I wanted to raise, right? Because I think it is important. I think I just want to join the goalkeeper's union, you know, for one day. I've never been a goalkeeper, but I have to say, had Jared Bowen nicked in before Mendy, knocked the ball past him, and there was a soft contact from the goalkeeper and Jared Bowen had gone down rolling around, we all would have been saying Stonewall penalty for a soft bit of contact. And a lot of those goalkeeper fouls for penalties where they come out of the goal and the player knocks it round them, largely straight off the pitch into the first row and then throw themselves over the goalkeeper, they're soft. And the attacker usually leaves their leg in for the collision. So... In fairness, we have allowed these decisions for years in football. They usually go against the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper got one this time around, and it's blown our minds. But, you're but to be honest, you're... we see these soft decisions all the time. It's you're not com- a disgrace you, you, because you, you, you. every weekend these happen. Hugh, you're conflating two completely different like. No, I'm not. Moments, you are. Because no, I'm not. The goalkeeper nicked You in. are, because he it's like Luke Ealing. If he's standing on the touchline and he's pushed over, the ball doesn't go out. The referee's not got... The referee can't make any other decision. No, a foul's That's, a foul, the, Gregor. The context matters. A foul it, is... No, no, it doesn't. It's a not. foul no is a foul. A it's foul not. is a foul. It's not. Doesn't matter the situation. If Jared Doesn't Bowen, matter the context. Hang on, hang on. It let me should speak, be speak. anywhere on the pitch, a foul. Penalty box, halfway line, doesn't Those matter. Harry Maguire's. Well, I didn't think it was enough contact for it to be a foul, but I, if it were given, I could have wait, seen wait, why I'm they losing, thought it was I'm given. Losing, I'm losing uh, a, a iota of respect for you here. This is ridiculous. No, no, no. He, he, he is. It's, it does matter. The context matters. This is what this whole weekend has shown us. If he, so you're if saying Jared, listen, 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 let me was finish. If Jared, no, Bowen, to... if Jared Bowen goes round up, touches the ball past him, and Mendy knocks it down, Jared Bowen goes down, the referee has a decision to make. Mendy comes out, pushes the ball away, what happens next is not influenced at all by Jared Bowen leaving his foot on Mendy because the goal went in straight away. It does the context always matters. Mendy went Mendy went down, padded the ball, Jared Jared Bowen's foot was trailing after it, goal, straight away. Jared Bowen goes round Mendy in a different way, touches it round him, Mendy brings him down. The referee has a decision to make. It influences what happens next. So the context is vital. That's what I also learned. And also here. A foul is not always a, a. You say a foul is a foul. It isn't. I mean, that's like you show ten incidents. It should to, be. To, no, no, but you show ten, ten incidents no, to ten it referees. That's what done to us. Yeah, say, and that's which is why the whole point is that it was meant to be light touch because there are there are fouls that are there is a vast area of grey in football. We all know that there are ten decisions. You know, you can show incidents to ten referees, the leading referees, and they might not even agree on it. So we, we all know that there is a 
a grey area, which is why we're back to that issue of the 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 bar has to be high because otherwise it it does re-referee everything. So a foul is not always a foul. A foul is one person's foul is not someone else's, and that's just the reality. And that's why this one, you know, in that area of grey, this one is like as light as light as grey as you can get in terms of whether it it, it qualifies. So now you've said that, Matt, we can all agree that it doesn't matter what comes out of this review, VAR is going to be inconsistent at times. Well, we are going to see, yeah, well, even on VAR, decisions that we disagree with. Yeah, and we as will. Fan, we should accept it. We will. Yeah, I know it's no one ever says it's going to be perfect panacea, but the reason, the, the way you avoid, you know, as it sort of, well, pissing people off basically, is by making sure that it only intervenes when, when it is clearing up clear clear mistakes and that's back to the original gen you know, original sort of ethos behind it which certainly was lost this weekend i thought we were getting closer to it personally but um also the time the time being taken i mean obviously that one at brighton you know you can't spend four and a half minutes on this stuff that's just going to wind people up so or again all the more reason for it to be clear um yeah you can't you, you know it, it was a bad weekend for it in every respect and um there's you know even as someone who wanted it i'm not going to pretend otherwise I don't even think that was the worst decision of the weekend, Jared Bowen. Far worse was the one involving Joe Willock, Newcastle against Crystal Palace. Foul on the goalkeeper. It's Tyrick Mitchell goes in the back of the net. I'm sorry. That was, that was a disgrace, you know, because you cannot explain any reason why any official would see that as a foul by Joe Willock, in my opinion, humble opinion. Peter Walton disagrees with you. So, I mean, that, that kind of sums it up. That sums it all up. We're never going to be able to... People are always going to disagree. So, as Matt says, it either has to be absolute clangers. It has to be the really, really high bar. But, I, but we've discussed this before, too. I don't think that's possible. So, I've come, I have reluctantly come to the conclusion that it needs to go. There's no, there is no way. That... Oh, Gregor, I've lost you. I spent three, <laughs> I know, five, I years, know. five years on this, and I thought, I, I thought I had you. I thought I had you, but Look, oh, the, no. the, if, the if positives. Gregor's gone, we're all, we're, we're doomed. We're doomed. The positives <laughs> do not outweigh the negatives, and I don't think they ever will. That's the truth of it. That's the truth. I'm going to be sat. Island. I'm going to be sat on this island on my own, aren't I? It's, <laughs> what a, it's a, it's a terrible, lonely thought. The, my, my, my issue with VAR is. I honestly think, you know, if we're going to ask the question, how do you solve VAR? They need to not care what people think as much as they do. And they need to not. I know that sounds really weird. Yeah, no, if you have a system that, no, listen, to, just hear me out no, again. Right, if you have a system that is there to basically ensure the laws are followed, you just have to have a system that's cold hearted doesn't have feelings or emotions or take into account what's soft or what's light. And if it's a foul, it's okay, a foul. If it's offside, it's offside. No, but I, I honestly, what I say with that is, I think every time that there's a concerted outrage from the public, suddenly it's like, right, we need to do something about this because everyone's mad. But as we saw before VAR, there will be periods when everyone's mad at decisions. You can't keep changing Every time people get annoyed with bad decisions, we all just accept the PGMOL and fans, there will be some decisions. But hopefully, <laughs> the majority of decisions are good. But you, you, you're, you're talking, I mean, come on, let's, let's have a bit of, you know, the, the idea that we've just decided, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to accept it's wrong and, and sort of, these guys <laughs> need to not care what the public thinks, as if they're not going to still have the entire public and every back page and every manager screaming and at them. I know, the but the issue is... But it was different when it was referees. It was different when it was referees. It's still referees. You could look at a human. 
No, but you it's could still look at referees. Human... I know. Listen, let me finish. You could look at a human <laughs> on the pitch without any recourse to, to look at whether he'd made a mistake or not. Now you have people who are, have the time and ability to look and see whether a mistake has been made or not, and we still can't agree whether a mistake has been made or not. It's impossible. It will never happen. So when you could look at a human on the pitch and point at him, you could at least, yeah, people got angry, and they, they got more angry than they should have, but you could accept it deep down. God, he's a human being. Now you have guys with the technology and the time to correct decisions, and they still can't do it. So put it in the bin. I think, well, why don't, I mean, the way to solve that is why don't we have an amnesty? Why don't we have two months off and see if our mental health has improved or not? I agree see, with that as well. The, 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 the Premier League wanted VAR because it felt too many obvious mistakes were being made. But say say you're having, you've got a big family celebration, but your local, your local Michelin star restaurant, you don't like it. You just think it's overrated. The food's not great. So you could decide you're going to have the celebration at home, but you bring in the chefs from that Michelin star kitchen to cook the meal for your family. And then you're upset that it's just as shit as it was when you used to go out and spend lots of money in the restaurant. That's exactly what VAR is. They've just put more of the referees that they don't like. Those same people are behind monitors, but with the with a different type of job in a different environment, they're not trained. They, you know, it's, that's not why they became referees. They became referees to be out in the fresh air, for goodness sake, being part of football, getting grassroots up and going, making sure their local club could have a match with their referee. And then they're put in, put in a studio and they're looking at things that look completely different when you're not on the field of play. And, this, and therefore, you will get loads and loads of ridiculous, embarrassing decisions. And the, but, the, but I still think the mental health thing about football, football's supposed to be going to sport, it's supposed to be good for your mental health. And I think it's it's becoming a bit of a sad thing now. I mean, Raul Jimenez bothering with his eye patch and his little telescope and his pirate celebration. And he looks a complete tit because the goals ruled out five minutes later. The game does not, the game does not need that. McAllister's. Look, McAllister's, it was offside. Like, if, well, if the technology is good enough, and I know it's going to be good enough, so they say, in time for the World Cup as well, if it's offside, it's offside. But still, I can live with that being given. I can live with Conor Cody's being given. For Everton as well, it's it's so close and tight. Like, nah, that was that was oh, offside. Come on, I can give it. I can live with. I can live with that being given. I think most people in football can as well because, like, uh, yeah, there's the odd howler, but they weren't that common. They they were always like ones that we were going to say. Well, if I get if I ever get invited onto Desert Island Disc, which obviously I won't, but um, just if I, I, my luxury item, I'll just take the VAR system with me, and then I, you know, I can, <laughs> I, I'll take it away. And, I'll just I'll just sit with it and play with it on my own on my. On I, my I, desert, I, I, I do island. think one I, I and think save the rest of humanity. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Well, listen, I, I do think one thing that they could do is just you know we're talking about the bar and where it is and context and all of that, you know. On the page of the VAR official, when it comes to you know reasons to disallow a goal, I think probably foul in the build-up needs to be taken out unless it is, and very specifically, you know, a yellow card. So it has to be that level of foul if you're going to stop it. Like, would you give a would you give a card for this decision? You know, and you wouldn't give a yellow card, I don't think, to Jared Bowen. You wouldn't give a yellow card um, for any of the other decisions. So I well, don't. What about you, Hugh? Now you're 
making up rules. That, that, that isn't in the laws of the game. That's ridiculous. No I, no, I think they should change it. No, but what do you mean I'm making up rules? They already started this by saying at the start of the season, referees are going to have a higher bar for decisions. So they move the bar. I'm saying have you a bar You don't disallow for chalking goal, off a goal. only if the infringement is worthy of a book. No, not, no, no, ridiculous. no. No, no, no. Not only if the infringement's a yellow card, but they obviously have a foul in the build-up. I'm saying if you're going to just say a foul in the build-up, that's not good enough. I don't think a foul in the build-up, but, you know, then you are looking for any little incident that could have been a foul. Get rid of it. It has to be, uh, you know, violent conduct or, or a yellow card, like something that is clear, a heavy challenge, blatant foul, not just, uh, you know, something that you would give a card for, I think has to be the, the, the no, that's where no, you start. The people won't accept it. That's why it needs to go. It's, we'll never be able to accept a, me, a, a medium or a, a, or a kind of where the bar should sit, because if you have the capacity to go back and look at look at and find detail and slow motion from every angle, people always go that should be a foul. That's that's where the bar should be because it's their team, or if because you, it, it's it's got it's it's done. If you have <laughs> if you have if you have two months of unfettered joy for every goal scored, no one's going to want VAR back. They will because yeah, they wanted it. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that one because the, the drama is actually. They wanted it in the, they wanted it in the first instance. Go on, Gregor. Sorry. No, the the drama has actually been quite. You know, there have been some that you know you see people being shattered, like like McAllister, who scored an absolute worldly. But then there have been moments where the kind of drama has been doubled because the goal has been like anticipation to see whether it's going to be in, and it's a big goal. So I'm, I'm, also I'm not entirely sure about that one. I'm also looking forward to this this era that I've certainly never seen where we get rid of it and everyone wakes up on a Monday morning and goes, it's fine, they're humans, they just made a totally innocent little error. And I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they, it's too late they, probably, yeah. They were, they were never going to be able to spot that. And, no, you know, never mind, referee, you carry on, you're doing the best job you can in, in difficult circumstances. Yeah, yeah. let's um, remind, remind me of that when it happens. Fingers crossed. Anyway, we'll have to do a trial. Anyway, you can watch the EFL with me, Saturdays, ITV. No, no VAR, we'll see you there. Um, listen, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, Matt Dickinson, been loads of fun. Thank you for being with me. Thank you all for listening once again. You have to read the game this Monday, so check it out. Download the Times app. Uh, you can subscribe there at the moment or check it out online, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game or go down to the news agents and pick up a paper. All right, we will see you on Thursday. The Champions League is back, so plenty for us to discuss. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.